Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. Welcome back to the Data Stack Show. A really interesting guest today. We have Tim and Steven from a company called Affinio. And here's a little teaser for the conversation. They run in Snowflake. They have a direct connection with Snowflake, but they do really interesting uh, marketing and consumer data analytics, both for social and for first-party data using Graph, which is just a really interesting concept in general. And I think one of the one of my big questions, Costas, is around the third-party ecosystem that is that's being built around Snowflake. And I think that's something that is going to be really, really big in the next couple of years. There are already some major players there, and we see some enterprises doing some interesting things there. But in terms of mass adoption, I think a lot of people are still trying to just sort of get their warehouse implementation into a good place and unify their data. So I want to ask about that from someone who is playing in that third-party snowflake ecosystem. How about you? What are you interested in? Yeah, Eric, I think uh, this conversation is going to have a lot of snowflake in part of it. It's One thing is what you, are, you talked about, which has to do more with the ecosystem around the data platforms like Snowflake. But the other and more technical side of things is how you can implement these sophisticated algorithms around graph analytics on top of a columnar database like Snowflake. So... Yeah, I think both from a technical and a business perspective, we are going to have a lot of questions around how Affinio is built on top of uh, Snowflake. And I think this is going to be super interesting. Cool. Well, let's dive in. Tim and Steven, welcome to the Data Stack Show. We're really excited to chat data warehouses. And personally, I'm excited to chat about some marketing stuff because I know you play in that space. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, excited to be so here. Fun. Thanks for having us. We'd love to get a little bit of background on each of you and just a high-level overview of what Affinio, your company, does for our audience. Do you mind just kick us off, kicking us off with a little intro? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So pleasure being on, my guys. And realistically, just to give you a quick sense of sort of what Affinio is all about, um, a little bit of background. So we've been create we've created Affinio about eight years ago. Started off with a really simple concept where eight years ago, Steve and I happened to be running a mobile app B2C company. And instead of looking at social media based on, you know, to see what people were talking about our brand, we started off with a really simple experiment of looking at who else our followers on social were following. And that afternoon, we sort of aggregated that data and saw sort of the compelling opportunity against this sort of interest and affinity graph that nobody seemed to be using or utilizing for big basically advertising and marketing applications. And we thought it was just a huge opportunity. So we had doubled down and created what continues to be our core intellectual property, which is a custom-built graph analytics engine under the hood. And what we've done is over those eight years, we basically leveraged, you know, analyzing essentially social data as a starting point. But more and more, we had many of our enterprise customers really excited about what they could unlock from both insights and actionability against the data that we were providing them with, as well as basically using our technology. So over the last two years, we made a conscious effort to double down and start porting a lot of that core graph technology directly into Snowflake. And most recently, and we're just about to announce 
sort of the release of four of our uh, four essentially apps inside the Snowflake marketplace that enable organizations to essentially use our graph technology directly on their data without us ever seeing the analytics and without us ever seeing the output. So it's in a completely private format, all leveraging sort of the secure function capability in Snowflake and the data sharing capability. So super excited to be here. We're obviously huge fans of both Snowflake and as well as sort of warehouse first approaches. And we think uh, the opportunity between Affinio and Rudderstack is a great complement. Very cool. And Tim, do you want to just give a, a quick 30 second or one minute background on, on you personally? Yeah, certainly. So Tim Burke, CEO of Affinio. My background is actually mechanical engineering. Stephen, who's on the show, and my CTO and co-founder, we've been working together for 12 years now, both engineers by trade. He's electrical, I'm mechanical. I do a lot of the biz dev and, and sales work within Affinio, obviously from, from my position a lot of customer facing activities and I'll let Steven introduce himself. Yeah, I'm Steven Hankinson, CTO at Affinio. Uh, like Tim said, I'm an electrical, electrical engineer, but I've been writing code since I was about 12 years old and uh, just really enjoy working with large data, big data and solving hard problems. Very cool. Well, so many things to talk about, especially Snowflake and sort of combining data sets. And that's just a, a fascinating topic in general. But one thing that I think would be really interesting for some context, uh, so Affinio started out providing, providing graph to in the context of social. And one thing I'd love yeah. to know, so you started eight years ago and the social landscape, especially around sort of privacy and data availability, et cetera, has changed drastically. And so I'm just out of, out of pure curiosity, I'm interested to know, you know, what were the kinds of questions that your customers wanted to answer eight years ago when you sort of introduced this idea? And then how has the landscape impacted the social side of things? I know you're far beyond that, but you have a unique perspective in dealing with social data, data over a period where there's just been a lot of change, even from a regulatory standpoint. Absolutely. I would say you, you nailed it on the head. It's been sort of a transformational period for data privacy, customer data privacy. And that, you know, first and foremost, has probably been one of the biggest impacted areas has been, you know, social data as, as a whole. So we've definitely seen a, a massive transition, right? I mean, I would say that a lot of that transition over the last few years is is partially, you know, a change in our focus for for that exact reason, right? Recognizing that deprecations in public APIs, deprecation sort of available, you know, privacy, privacy aspects of that data availability across social has changed drastically, right? And so for us, it was been, you know, we've been sort of, at, you know, first, you know, at front of the line watching all this happen in real time. But for us, the customers at the end of the day are still trying to solve for the same problem. It's how do I understand, learn more about my customer such that I can you know, service them better, provide better customer experience, find more of my high value customers. Like net net, I don't think the challenges change. I think the assets against which those, you know, the data assets against which those customers are actually leveraging to find those answers is going to change and has been changing, right? And so what we're trying to do is our move from sort of our legacy social product, you know, much of the time was addressing, you know, deeper understandings of the interest profiles, you know, and rich, rich sort of interest profiling of, you know, large social audiences is kind of where we got started. 
And for us, that's one of the most, obviously one of the most valuable assets or valuable insights for a marketer, because when you understand the scope and, and depth of you know, your audience's interest patterns, you can basically leverage that for where to reach them, how to reach them, how to personalize content, knowing what offers they're going to want to you know, click through to. And I don't think that's actually changed, right? I think that what people are recognizing more, more so than anything, and, and obviously you guys would see this firsthand as well, is you know, many of those data assets that I, I think many organizations were willing to either have vendors collect on their behalf or, or own on their behalf it has changed drastically. And now it's requiring basically these enterprises and organizations to own those data assets and be able to do more with them. And so what I would say is, what we're seeing sort of firsthand is the markets come around to recognizing the need to collect a lot of first party data. Many organizations have obviously, you know, put a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of resource behind sort of creating that opportunity within the enterprise. But I would say quite honestly, what we see is that there's a lack of sort of ability to make meaningful insight and actionability from those large data sets that they're creating. So that's kind of what our focus is on is sort of trying to enable the enterprise to be able to unlock at scale applications no differently than what we've done previously on massive social data assets, but in this time on their first party data and natively inside Snowflake in a privacy first format. Super interesting. And just one more follow-up question to that. I'm at risk of nerding out here and stealing the microphone from Costas for a long period, which I've been known to do in the past. But in terms of graph, was the transition from sort of third-party social data to accomplishing similar things on your first-party data on Snowflake, was that a big technological transition? Or, I mean, I'd just love to know from an yeah. under-the-hood standpoint, how did that work? Because the data sets are, you know, there's similarities and differences. No, it's a great point. I mean, for those not sort of familiar um, with graph technology, obviously the foundation of sort of, you know, traditional graph databases are founded on sort of transforming, you know, relational database into, you know, nodes and edges, right? And looking for essentially connectivity or analyzing the connectivity in a data asset. So, so our underpinning data technology, you know, which, you know, Stephen created firsthand is sort of this custom built graph technology. It sort of analyzes data based on that premise. It is, everything's a node, everything's an edge. And at that primitive level, it sort of enables us to sort of ingest and analyze any format of, you know, customer data without having to do drastic changes to the underpinning technology. And so what I would highlight is that we've, you know, we're, the most compelling data assets that we can analyze and the most compelling insights you can gather typically are driven by customer behavioral patterns, right? So unlike traditional, I would say demographic data, which had is, has its utility and obviously always has in a marketing and advertising application where, but, but I would argue that demographics has you know traditionally been used as a proxy to a behavioral pattern, right? And what we're what we see and what we see the opportunity to sort of unlock is that if you're analyzing and able to uncover patterns inside of raw customer behavioral patterns, what you as a marketer and advertiser want to do is ultimately change or enhance that behavior, right? So instead of using demographics as sort of a way to slice and dice data and create audiences which ultimately are simply a surrogate to that underpinning behavior you're looking to change. What we're seeing and what we see as an opportunity is across these massive 
data sets that are basically being pulled into Snowflake and aggregated in Snowflake, when you start to analyze those behaviors at the raw level and unlock patterns across massive um, number of consumers at that level, you can then start actioning on that and leveraging those insights for advertising, personalization, you know, targeted campaign, next best offer in a format that basically is driven by you unlocking that behavioral pattern. So for us, you can think of it, you know, when, when I speak of customer behavioral pattern, everything that, you know, relates to transactional data, content consumption patterns, search behavior, you know, click data, click stream data. I mean, all those become signals of intent, of interest, and, and ultimately are sort of an, you know, a rudimentary behavior, which for us, we can ingest, transform that data into a graph inside of Snowflake, analyze those connections and similarity patterns across those behaviors natively in the um, data warehouse. And then in doing so, create, therefore, audiences around interest, you know, common interest patterns and lookalikes and build propensity models off those behaviors. And so, so the transformation uniquely, I mean, I, I wouldn't understate it. And Stephen obviously, you know, put a lot of time into that transformation. I think it was more so that we had initially architected the underpinning technology for the purpose of a certain data set. What we unlocked and identified was there was a host of first-party data applications we could apply this tech to, and that was sort of the initial aha moment for us in terms of moving it into a Snowflake um, instance and then Snowflake capability so that we can basically put it and apply it to any customer behavioral data across that that data set. That's super interesting. I have a question that's, I mean, probably Stephen might have a lot to say about that, but you're talking a lot about graph analysis that you're doing. Can you explain to us and to our audience a little bit how graphs can be uh, utilized to do analysis around the behavior of a person or in general, the data that you're usually working with? Because from what I understand, like the story behind Affin is that when you started, right, you were doing analytics around um, social graphs, right, where the graph is like a very natural kind of data structure to use there. But how this can be extended to other paradigms, to, al- to other use cases? Yeah, I would say one example of that would be uh, in surfing patterns, like t- Tim had mentioned, where essentially we can get a data set of basically sites that people have visited and even keywords on those sites and other attributes related to those sites, times that they visit them. And essentially we can put that all together into a sort of a graph of, of people traversing the web. And then we're able to use some of our scoring algorithms on top of that to essentially rank and and score those surfing patterns so that we can essentially put together people or, or users that book similar into a separate segment or audience that then we can essentially pop up and show analytics on top of so people can get an idea of what that group of people enjoy visiting online or where they go or, or what, what types of keywords they're more looking at online based on the data set that we're working with. I, I guess that would be one example um, of a graph related that's not social, for, for example. And I just pick uh-huh. up on that Costa as well. I, I mean, I think the the thing that we see is that the, you know, as Stephen alluded to, at the at the sort of lowest level of sort of the signals that are being collected, you know, what we're creating in, in you know, just to liken it to a social graph. Obviously, you have a follower pattern which defines and creates essentially the so you know the the social graph. What we're doing is sort of taking those common behaviors is basically sort of the nodes and edges. So as Stephen alluded to, whether it be, you know, sites that people visit, whether it be content, similar content that they're consuming, whether it's the transactional history that looks similar to one another, 
the application effectively is just how we transform, to your point, those, you know, those individual events into essentially a large customer graph on first-party data within the warehouse. And then, like I said, then from there, the analytics and applications are very, very similar, regardless of sort of whether you're analyzing a social graph, a transactional graph, a, you know, a, a web surfing graph. It ultimately comes down to sort of what your, what your definitions are for those nodes and edges at the core. Yeah. And what's the, what's the added value of pursuing like, or trying to describe and uh, represent this problem as a graph instead of like, I don't know, like more traditional analytical techniques that people are using so far? For us, it comes down to, I mean, specifically segmentation, you know, at the core uh, of what, you know, our advertisers and marketers do on a daily basis is sort of cutting, you know, slice and dice data oftentimes is, is restrictive to a single event, right? So find me the customers that bought product X, find me the customers that viewed, you know, TV show Y, oftentimes sort of is restrictive in sort of the analytics capabilities within the scope of that small segment. What we're doing is we're able to take that segment look across all their behaviors beyond them, you know, beyond that sort of initial defined audience segment. And by compiling all those attributes simultaneously inside of Snowflake, we're actually able to uncover the other affinities beyond that. So besides watching TV show X, right, what are the other shows that are of that audience are over-indexing or sort of have high affinity? Uh, Besides buying product Y, what other products are they buying? And those signals from a marketer's perspective starts to unlock everything from recommendation engine, next best offer, you know, new net new you know, personalized customer experience recommendations, right? In terms of recognizing that this group as a whole has these patterns. And that's at the core, you know, when you think of it, you can certainly achieve that in a traditional relational database if you have two, three, 10 attributes per, you know, per ID. When you start going into scales, you know, that you know, we're analyzing with our technology inside of Snowflake, you're talking about potentially hundreds of millions of IDs against tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of attributes. So when you actually try to surface and say, like, what makes this segment tick and what makes them unique, trying to resolve that and identify the top 10 attributes of high affinity to that audience segment is extremely complex in a relational database or a relational format. But using our technology and using graph technology, the benefit is that 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 can be calculated in a matter of seconds inside the warehouse so that people like, you know, marketing and advertisers can unlock those over-indexing high affinity signals beyond the audience definition that they first, you know, first applied. And that helps with everything, like I said, understanding the customer all the way through to you know, things like next best offer, as well as sort of media, you know, media platforms of, of high interest. Right. That's, that's super, super exciting for me. I have, I have a question that's more of like a product related question, not much technical, but how do you expose this kind of structure to your end user, which from what I understand is uh, a marketeer, right? And I would assume that like most of the marketeers don't really think in terms of graphs. Or it's probably like something a little bit more abstract in their heads. Like, can you explain to me how you manage to expose all this expressivity that a graph can offer to this particular problem to a non-technical person like a marketer? Yeah, no, for us, it's, I mean, it's a great question. For us, a lot of, a lot of what we created eight years ago is in, and even the momentum on, on our social application eight years ago was sort of the simplicity of those, you know, identifying those over-indexing signals, the ability to sort of do unsupervised clustering, 
engineering on those underpinning um, behaviors to sort of unlock what I would deem sort of these data-driven personas. And so we, we've been, we put a lot of energy into, you know, trying to restrict how much data you surface to, the, to your end user and trying to simplify it based on their objective. And so, you know, a key element to that in, in recognizing that within the framework of these applications that we've built inside Snowflake, our end user actually does not get exposed, you know, to the underpinning, you know, graph-based transformation and all the magic that's happening inside, inside of Snowflake. What they do get exposed to and what our algorithm is able to do is essentially surface and rank order the importance of those attributes and place those into a simple UI experience. And the benefit, you know, at the end of the day is that because all these analytics are running natively inside Snowflake, any application that has a direct connector to Snowflake can essentially query and pull back these aggregate insights. So think of that from, you know, from a standard BI application that has a standard, you know, connector into Snowflake with, with very little effort, they can essentially leverage the intelligence that we've built inside of Snowflake and pull forward essentially, you know, based on an audience segment definition, you know, the over-indexing affinities, you know, that that rank in rank order for that particular population. So, so I think the the challenge for us, you're you're, I think you nailed it. For many in the marketing field, you know, graph technology is not one of their primary, you know, backgrounds, and certainly not, you know, you know, if you ask them, you know, how would you use, you know, a standard, you know, graph database? That's not something that you know most people are thinking about. What they are though thinking about and thinking hard about is again, it's these simple definitions of like what are the other things or what are the things that make an audience segment unique, make them tech, make them behave the way they behave, and unless you sort of approach that problem statement with a graph-based technology under the hood, um, it's extremely complicated, extremely challenging. And for many organizations we, we work with, you know, they talked about the fact that what we're unlocking inside the warehouse in a matter of seconds would traditionally have taken, you know, a data science team or an analyst team, oftentimes, you know, days, if not weeks to try to unlock. And so it's, for us, it becomes sort of scalability. It's the it's the repeatability of these types of questions that you know, guys like Eric, I'm sure, live and breathe every day. Is like what makes a unit of an audience tick, right? And whether that is like of the people who churn, what are the over-indexing signals so that we can plug those holes in the product? Whether that's of the high-value customers, what makes their behavior on our platform unique? Those are the things that we're trying to unlock and uncover. For, for a non-technical end user, right? Because that is the day, you know, their daily activity is they have to crack that nut on a daily basis in order to achieve their KPIs. And so that's what we're most excited about is we, you know, I think Stephen and I sort of eight years ago, graph technology, certainly as it pertained to applications and marketing was, was really still very, very new. I would still say it's still very, very nascent. But I mean, I think it's sort of coming of age because as we grow the data assets inside of things like, you know, Snowflake's data warehouse, unless you can sort of analyze across the entire breadth of that data asset and, and unlock in, a, in sort of an automated way these key signals that sort of, you know, make up an audience, but the challenge will always be the same and the challenge is going to get worse, right? Because we're not making data sets smaller, we're making them larger. And so the complexity and challenge associated with that just increases with time. And for us, like, that's what we're trying to, we're trying to trivialize and say, listen, there's repeatable requests to a marketing analyst and to a marketing team and to an advertiser and, and a media buyer and, and dominantly their affinity-based questions, whether people recognize it or ask it as such, 
But a lot of the times that's exactly what it is of the person who just signed up on our landing page, right? Like what should we offer them, right? What other signals can we, you know, what, you know, what kind of signals influence what we recommend to them, how we manage them, how we manage the customer experience, how we personalize content. So those types of questions we see on a daily basis are trying to be addressed by marketing teams, many of whom who don't have direct access, obviously, to the raw data. And that's why a lot of our technology natively inside of Snowflake is sort of unlocking the ability for them to do that in aggregate without ever being exposed to private or role-level data. That's amazing. I think uh, that's one of the reasons that I really love like working with these kind of problems and engineering in general. This connection of something so abstract as a graphics to a real-life problem, like something that marketeer is doing every day. I think that's that's big part of the beauty behind doing like computer engineering, and I really enjoy that. But I have a more technical question now. I mean, we talked about how we can use these tools to deliver volume to the marketing community. So how do you go from a columnar database system like Snowflake into a graph processing system? How do you do that? How do you bridge these two different uh, data structures at the end. From one side, you have like uh, more of a tabular way of representing the data or columnar way of representing the data. And on the other hand, you have something like graph. So how, how, how does these two things can work together? Yeah, so basically what we end up doing is we have some secure functions in our Snowflake account that we share over to the customer. And then what that does is it, it gives them a shared database, which includes a bunch of funct- secure functions that we've developed. And then we essentially work with the customer to give them either predetermined functions that are queries that they will run on top of their data based on the, I guess, structure of their tables. And the function, the queries that we give to them essentially will pass their raw data in through our encoder is what we call it. And that will output this new data into a new table. And that really just looks like a bunch of garbage if you look at it in stuff like it. It's mostly binary data, but it's a uh, probabilistic data structure that we store our data into. And then with that probabilistic data structure, they can then use our other secure functions, which is able to analyze that graph-based data and output all of the, the insights that Tim was mentioning before. Essentially, you just feed in a, a defined audience that you want to analyze, and it will run all the processing in, in the secure function on top of that, that uh, probabilistic data structure, and then output all of the, the top attributes and scores uh, for the audience that's, that they're analyzing. Oh, that's super interesting. Can you, uh, Stephen, share a little bit more information about this probabilistic data structure? Yeah, it's, it's essentially putting it in a privacy-safe format that basically is feeding in all the IDs with different attributes that they want to be able to uh, query against, essentially, and using some hashing techniques to essentially compute this new structure that is then able to be bumped up against other encoded data sets uh, of the same format. And then once you mash them together, essentially, you can use some algorithms that we have in our in our secure, secure function library. And from there, we can get all kinds of things like intersections, overlaps, unions of all kinds of sets. It's basically doing a bunch of a set theory on these different data structures in a privacy secure way. Yeah, that's super interesting. And there's, I mean, there's a big family of database systems, which is actually graph databases, right? So 
from your from your perspective, why it's better to implement something like what you described described like compared to getting the data and uh, from a table like on Snowflake and feeding it to a more traditional, let's say, kind of graph system. I think that may, the main benefit of doing it this way is they don't need to make a copy of their data and they don't need to move their data. Essentially, it yeah, all stays exactly. in one place. Okay. Yeah, and I would I would just add to that cost as, as well, right? I mean, when when we speak of you know the benefits of sort of Snowflake's underpinning architecture and their the concept of sort of not moving data for us, you know what we're not what we're not trying to do is sort of replicate all functionality of a graph database. There's obviously applications in which case you know that is absolutely suitable and and reasonable to do an an entire sort of copy of the data um, set and, and run that type of analytics inside the warehouse. But what we're trying to do is take the applications relative to marketing and advertising, productize them in a format that does not require that and still leaves the data where it is inside of Snowflake, you know, provides this level of sort of anonymization. And I would also highlight the fact that Stephen's code that does the encoding of that new data structure also enables, you know, out of five to one data compression format, which also supports basically more queries for the same price when it comes down to sort of this affinity-based querying structure. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Like uh, this discussion that we are having about like the comparison of between like having a more niche kind of system around graph processing and the general kind of graph yes. database. It's something that reminds me a little bit of something that happens also like here at Rutherstack from an engineering point of view because we have built like part of our uh, infrastructure needed some capabilities similar to what Kafka offers, right? But instead of like incorporating Kafka in our system, we decided to go and like build part of this functionality over Postgres in a system that's like tailor-made for exactly our needs. And I think that like finding this trade-off between generic system towards like a function and something that is tailor-made for your needs, it's like what makes engineering as a discipline super, super important. I think at the end, this is the essence of like making engineering choices when we are building complex systems like this, trying to figure out when we should use something like more generic as a solution or when we should get a subset of this and like make it tailor-made like for our problem that we are trying to solve. And that's extremely interesting. I love that I hear this from you. We had another episode in the past with someone from Neo4j and we were discussing about almost this because if you think about it, like a graph database at the end is a specialized version of a database, right? Like at the end, database system Postgres can replicate the exact same functionality that a graph database systems can do, right? But still, we are focusing more on a very narrowly defined problem and we can do it even more. And that's what you've done. And I find like a lot of beauty behind this. So this is great to hear from you guys. I think it's also interesting just picking up on that in terms of the decision around like, when do you, when do you optimize versus sort of, you know, leave it generic? I mean, for us, you know, a big part of that, you can also see obviously in market, right? There's you know, machine learning and sort of, you know, machine learning platforms that can, you know, have a host of different models, can be used for, you know, a host of different things through the Swiss Army knife application within, you know, an organization. For us anyway, 
when when those custom requests come in from teams, absolutely, like those types of platforms make a lot of sense because your data science team has to go in. It's sort of probably a custom model and a custom question that's being answered. I think for us specifically, when it comes time to actually building an optimized solution, something that can be deployed natively inside Snowflake, comes down to sort of repeatability and efficiency, right? So it's like when the same requests are being made, you know, hundreds of times a year, should you actually be building a custom model every time or should you actually push that workload into the warehouse? And that's, for us anyway, that's been a specific focus is like for those applications of those requests that you can have the marketer self-serve and get the answers they need in seconds as opposed to putting it on the data science team backlog. Those are the applications for us that we're sort of focused on and actually pushing in and optimizing. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So last uh, more technical question from my side. You mentioned that the, the, the way that like the, the system works right now is you get the raw data that someone has stored in the Snowflake and you have some kind of like encounters or transformers that they transform this data into these probabilistic data structures that you have. Do you have any kind of limitations in terms of like what data you work with? Do you have some requirements in terms of the schema that this data should have? And what's like the pre-processing? that the user has to do in order to utilize the power of, of your system? Yeah, so if it's a if it's in a essentially rectangular form data, it's pretty easy to ingest into the encoder. Like we have a UI that will do that for you. But if there are some weird things about the data that wouldn't be typical, we can actually work with them. If they give us an example of, of what the data looks like, we can essentially craft a encoding for uh, query for them that they just feed everything through and that will still end up in the right way to go into our encoder and still end up in the essentially probabilistic data graph format that we use. So it's we haven't currently run into any data set that we haven't been able to encode, but yeah, it's it, it seems to be pretty generic at this point. Mm-hmm. And is this process something that like the marketeer is doing or there's some need for, for support from the IT or the engineering yeah, team of a company? We usually work with the IT at that stage. And then once it's encoded, the UI will work with the data that's already being encoded. And they can also set up a task inside of Snowflake, which will update that database over time or that data set over time to add new records or update the data as it comes in. But yeah, that is not handled by the marketeer. All right. And is Affinio right now offered only through Snowflake? Is there like a hard requirement that someone needs to have the data on Snowflake to use the platform? It is currently costless. I mean, we we obviously went through sort of an exercise evaluating which platform to sort of build on first. I mean, for us, it came down to two sort of fundamental capabilities within Snowflake or probably three. I mean, the secure functions that we're utilizing to obviously secure our IP in terms of those applications that we share over. The ability to do the direct data sharing capability, it was sort of fundamental to that decision. And then the third for us is obviously the cross-cloud application and the cross-cloud ability for us to ingest data across all three clouds. So... So as a starting point, that was sort of our buy-in and, and, and recognizing that you know, with the momentum and certainly the momentum that Snowflake has in specifically the you know, media and entertainment and retail and advertising space is, is and continues to be a good fit for our applications at this stage. We've had obviously discussions more broadly, you know, whether we can replicate for specific cloud applications, but while we sort of, you know, while we're st- where we are right now in terms of early market traction, like our, our bet is on Snowflake and, and the momentum that they currently have. 
This is great. And Tim, you mentioned, I think earlier, that your product is offered through the marketplace that Snowflake has. Can you share a little bit more about the experience that you have with the marketplace, how important it is for uh, your uh, business and uh, why? Yeah, so the I think the marketplace is is still in its early stages, you know, even as many with as many data partners that are already bought in. For us, I think when one of the clear challenges is that we Affinio are not data providers. So I think we're 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 slightly nuanced within the framework of what traditionally has been built up on a data you know, from a data marketplace or, you know, uh, data asset perspective, we, you know, we're positioned inside a marketplace deliberately um, and consciously, you know, with Snowflake because our applications sort of drive a lot of the data sharing functionality and sort of add to the capabilities on top of that data marketplace, you know, that people can apply, you know, first, second, and third party data assets inside of Snowflake and, and run our type of analytics on top of it. So, so for us, it's been it's been unique in in the framework of simply um, being positioned, obviously, almost as a service provider inside of what otherwise is you know currently positioned as a data marketplace. But recognizing that, I think over time you'll start to see you know that bifurcate within Snowflake, and you will get a separation in a unique marketplace that'll be driven by sort of service providers like ourselves, alongside of you know straight data providers. So I think it's I think it's early stages. I think you know what we're excited about is that you know we we see a lot of our technology as being an accelerant to many of those data providers directly, and many of the ones that we've already sort of you know started working with directly see it as see it as a value proposition and a value add to their you know raw data asset that they may be sharing through Snowflake, but you know see it as a means with which to get more value from that data asset on the customer's behalf by applying our application, our technology in their Snowflake instance. This is great. Tim, you mentioned um, a few things about your decision to go with Snowflake. Can you share a little bit more information around that? And more specifically, what is needed for you to consider uh, going to another data cloud data warehouse, something like BigQuery or something like, I don't know, uh, Redshift? What is offered right now by Snowflake that it gives a lot tremendous value to you and makes you like prefer at this point to build only on Snowflake. Yeah, I think if if, if we stood back and actually looked at where um, Stephen and I sort of started off in terms of our applications within first party, like porting our graph technology into first party data, much of that was very centered on applications and analytics specific to you know and and enterprises own first party data only. As it pertains to that model, if, if it was only restricted to that model, I think we would have considered more broadly, you know, you know, looking at doing that directly inside of any of or all of the, the cloud infrastructures or cloud-based systems to begin with. But but you know, I would say that ours is a combination of the ability to do you know analytics directly on first party data of, you know, as well as as Stephen indicated, you know, a major component of our technology that we've created inside of Snowflake and unlocks this sort of privacy safe data collaboration across the ecosystem. And for so so as as a result of that, I mean, for us, the, the criteria in terms of, you know, selecting Snowflake was, again, the ability to leverage secure UDFs and secure functions to sort of you know, lock and protect our IP that we're sharing into those instances. But the second major component is sort of the second half of our IP, which is effectively this privacy safe data collaboration, which basically is powered by 
the you know the underpinning data sharing capability of Snowflake. And so, if and when sort of, of reviewing or evaluating other applications or, or sort of other providers in terms of context of where we would port this next, I would say that that's that's the sort of the lens that we look through. Right? Is like can we can we unlo yeah. unlock the entire capability across this privacy-safe data collaboration and analytics capability in a similar way that we've done it on Snowflake? Because to me, that's the, that is the primary reason why we picked that platform. Yep. And one last question for me, and then I'll leave, I'll leave it to, to Eric. And it's a question for both of you guys, just from a different perspective. You've been around quite a while. I mean, Afinio, as you said, like we started like eight years ago, that was pretty much like, I think the same time that Snowflake also started. So you've seen a lot around the cloud data warehouse and its evolution. How things have changed in these past eight years, both from a business perspective, and this is probably something more, more of a question for your team, and also from a technical perspective, how the landscape has changed? I th yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely interesting, you know, the point that you're making. I mean, I, I first learned of Snowflake directly from, you know, customers of ours who were sort of at the time asking us specifically about, you know, the, the request is very simple. They said, we love what we're doing, what you're doing with our social data. We would love it natively in Snowflake. And that was honestly the, the first time we had sort of learned of that application many, many years ago. But what I would say is that, you know, as far as the data warehouse is advanced from a technical perspective, I think for us anyway, it still sort of belongs or, or certainly has its stronghold directly in the you know, CDO, CIO, um, and CTO offices within many of these enterprises. What, what I expect to see and what I think we're sort of you know, helping you know, drive and pioneer with what we've built on the marketing advertising is sort of the, the value of the asset being stored inside of you know, the data warehouse has to become more broadly applicable and accessible across the organization beyond what traditionally has been locked away to you know, a high infosec required data science teams because I think the value that needs to be tapped across global enterprises cannot funnel directly through just a single team all the time. And I think what, what we will see, and certainly I think as early stages are starting to see, is awareness by other departments inside the enterprise of, of, of even where their data is stored, quite honestly. I mean, there's still conversations we're having with many organizations in the marketing realm who have no idea where their data is stored, right? So... I think familiarity um, and comfort level associated with sort of that data asset, how to access it, what they can access, how they can utilize it, it will become the future of sort of where the data warehouse um, is going to go. But I think we're still we're still a long way there. Um, there's still a lot of education there, but we're excited about that opportunity specifically from the business perspective. Yeah, and on the tech side of things, I would say the biggest changes are probably around the whole privacy uh, stuff that has changed over the years where you have to be a lot more uh, privacy aware and, and secure. And basically working with Snowflake makes that a lot easier for us with the secure sharing of, of code and uh, secure shares of data as well. So using that with our code embedded directly into them, we can, we can be sure that customers using this, their data is secure. And even if they're sharing data over to other customers, it's secure to do that as well. This is great, guys. So Eric, it's all yours. <laughs> We're closing in on time here, but I do have I do have a, a question that I've been thinking about really since the beginning. And it's taking a step back. So Casas asked some great questions about why Snowflake and some of the details there. Stepping back a little bit, I wanna I would love your perspective on 
what I will call for the purposes of this, the purposes of, of this episode, sort of the next phase of data warehouse utilization. And I'll explain what I mean a little bit. So a lot of times in the show, we'll talk about major phases that technology goes through. And, you know, in the, in the world of technology and data, warehouses are actually not that old. You know, you have sort of Redshift being the major player fairly early on. And then, you know, Snowflake hitting general availability, I think in, in 2014. But even then, you know, they were still certainly not as widespread as they are now. And the way that we describe it is we're currently living in the phase of everyone's trying to put a warehouse, you know, sort of in the center of their stack and collect all of their data and do the things that, you know, sort of the, you know, marketing analytics tools have talked about for a long time where it's like, get a complete view of the customer, et cetera, et cetera. And everyone sort of realized, okay, I need to have a data warehouse in order to actually do that. And that's a lot of work. And so we're, we're in the phase where people are getting all of their data in the warehouse. It's easier than ever. And we're doing really cool things on top of it. But I would describe Affinio in many ways as almost being part of the next phase and Snowflake is particularly interesting here where you, let's say you collect all of your data. Now you can combine it with all other sorts of things natively, which is you know, sort of an entire new world, right? There are all sorts of interesting data sets in the Snowflake marketplace, et cetera. But most of the conversation and most of the content out there actually is just around how do you get the most value out of your warehouse by collecting all of your data in it and doing interesting things on top of it. And so I just love your perspective. Do you see sort of the same major phases? Are we right in terms of being in the phase where people are still trying to collect their data and do interesting things with it? And then give us a peek as a player who's, you know, sort of part of the marketplace, part of the third-party connections, but being able to sort of operationalize natively inside your warehouse. What is that going to look like? I mean, marketing is an obvious use case, but I think it's going to be you know, in the next five years, that's going to be a major, major movement in the world of warehouses. Sorry, that was long-winded, but that's no, that's I, my I, that's what's been going through. No, my no, mind. I totally. I, I mean, it's sort of it's sort of the stuff that we think about and talk about on a daily basis. What I think, I think you're you're right on. I think it, you know, obviously, the the world has already woken up to the sort of fact that like gathering, collecting, owning and managing all customer data in one location is going to be critical in the future, right? I would say COVID has woken the world up to that in terms of, you know, as as many of us as, you know, have heard and seen is that, you know, COVID is, you know, no better driver for digital transformation than, you know, a pandemic. So, but at the same time, I, I completely agree with you. What I think personally, and, and I and I sort of just given sort of what we're creating within these sort of, app, you know, native applications inside of Snowflake, I think you will start to see an emergence of privacy safe SaaS applications that are deployed inside natively inside the warehouse. I think you will you will see literally a transformation of how SaaS solutions are being deployed. And I think what you'll see is, you know, organizations like Affinio who have traditionally, you know, hosted data on behalf of customers and provided sort of, you know, web-based logins to, you know, to access that data that's stored by the vendor. I think you'll see and continue to see a movement where the sort of IP and the core capabilities and the technologies of these vendors will begin to start to port natively into 
you know, Snowflake, I believe that Snowflake itself and, and, you know, will actually start to find ways to, you know, find attribution around the compute and value that those, you know, that those, you know, vendors like ourselves and the, and the applications that are driving inside of the warehouse. And I think you'll see just naturally extend into, you know, rev share models where for the enterprise, you know, you sign on to Snowflake, you have all these native app options that you can turn on um, automatically that basically allows you not only to reap more benefit, but just get up to speed and make your data more valuable faster, right? And I think, I, I honestly, you know, Stephen, I've talked about this for some time now. We honestly see that, you know, in the next 10 years, there'll be a transition. And certainly maybe it probably won't eliminate the old model, but you'll see a new set of vendors that'll start building in a native um, application format right out of the gate. And that I think will transform the, you know, the traditional SaaS landscape. Yeah, absolutely. And one, uh, a follow on to that. So when you think about data in the warehouse, you can look at it from two angles, right? The warehouse is really incredible because it can really support, you know, you know, any, well, not necessarily any kind of data, right. But data that conforms to any business model, right. So B2C, B2B, et cetera. It's sort of agnostic to that, right? Which makes it sort of fully customizable and you can set it up to suit the needs of your business. So in some sense, you know, everyone's data warehouse is, is heavily customized. When you look at it from the other angle, though, from this perspective of third-party data sets and something that Costas and I talk a lot about, which is sort of common schemas or common data paradigms, right? If you look across the world of business, you have things like Salesforce, right? Salesforce can be customized, but you have sort of known hierarchies, you know, lead, contact, account, et cetera. Do you think that sort of the, the standardization of those things or, or market penetration of sort of known data hierarchies and known schemas will help drive that? Or is everyone just sort of customizing their data and that won't really play a role? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, it's conversations we've had with other vendors, you know, and and many of our customers relative to what they perceive as sort of beneficial to you know many CDPs and market. To your point, Eric, right? Like where the the fixed taxonomies and schemas basically enable you know an ecosystem and an app ecosystem and sort of partner ecosystem to build easily on sure. that schema on top of that. Yeah, completely. You know, I would say that you know I think it's still early to see how that actually you know comes about what I would what I would say is that I think you will start seeing organizations sort of adopt many aspects within Snowflake and within their warehouse of sort of you know best of breed schemas for the purpose of you know as it you know as I would say as I see this sort of application space build out it's kind of the way that it has to scale right so both from from a partner and and sort of marketplace you know marketplace play as well as you know, the plug and play nature of how you want to deploy at, the, you know, this at scale. I mean, ultimately the game plan would be that, again, all these apps sort of run natively. You could turn them on. They already know what the scheme is behind the scenes and, and they can start running. As Stephen alluded to, there's obviously at this stage, a lot of sort of handholding at the front end until you sort of get those, you know, schemas established and are encoded and into a format that's, you know, queryable, et cetera. So it, I, think, I think what you'll start to see is sort of best of breed, you know, bridging across into, into Snowflake would be my assumption. And I would say the more that you see people sort of leveraging Snowflake as a, you know, build your own format of Snowflake, it, it's kind of required, right? And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see 
that some elements of that be adopted across into into sort of you know best of best of class and best of breed within Snowflake directly for that purpose. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It is. It's kind of it's fascinating to think about a world where you know today you kind of have your set of your core set of tooling, right? And sort of core set of data, and you build out your stack by just making sure that things can integrate in a way that makes sense for your particular stack, which, you know, in, in many cases requires a lot of research, et cetera. And it's really interesting to think about the, the process of architecting a stack where you just start with the warehouse and you make choices based on best of breed schemas. And, you know, at that point, the, the tooling is heavily abstracted, right? Because you are basically choosing time to value in terms of best of breed schemas. Super interesting. Yeah, completely. All right. Well, we're close to time here. So I'm going to ask one, one more question. And this is really for our audience and anyone who might be interested in the Snowflake ecosystem. What's the best way to get started with sort of exploring third-party functionality in Snowflake? I mean, Affinio, obviously, really cool tool. Check it out. But for those who are saying, okay, we're kind of at the point where we're unifying data and we want to think about augmenting it, you know, where, where, do, where do people go? What would you recommend as the best steps in terms of exploring the world of doing stuff inside of Snowflake natively, but with third-party tools and, and third-party data sets? I think, I think it all starts with, from our perspective, you know, many of the conversations we have with prospects and, and you know, customers is around sort of what, what questions are sort of the repeatable ones you want to get addressed and want to, want to answer it. And in combination with that, obviously, a, a key element to what, you know, these types of applications enable is from a privacy perspective, it sort of unlocks the ability to answer those types of questions by more individuals across the organization. So many of the sort of starting points for us ultimately comes down to what are those repeatable, you know, repeatable questions and repeatable work, you know, workloads that you'd like to have, you know, trivialized and basically sort of plug and play inside of the warehouse that would speed up what otherwise oftentimes you know, is a three-week wait time or a three-week model or a three-week answer. And so I think, you know, for us, that's where we start with most of our prospects and discussions. And I would think, you know, for those thinking about or contemplating that, that's a great place to start is sort of recognizing that this isn't for, you know, this isn't the, you know, the silver bullet for to address all questions or all problems. But for those that are sort of rinse and repeat and repeatable, these types of applications are very, very powerful. Love that. That's a... Um... Just thinking back to my consulting days when we were doing lots of analytics or even sort of tool choice for the for the stack, um, always starting with the question, I think is just a really, I think that's just a generally good piece of advice when it comes to data. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Tim, Steven, really appreciate it. Congrats on your success with Affinio. Really cool tool. So everyone in the audience, check it out. And uh, we'd love to have you back on the show in another six or eight months to see how things are going. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks very much. Thank you. As always, a really interesting conversation. I think that one one thing that stuck out to me, and I may be stealing this takeaway from you, Costas, so I'm sorry, but I thought it was really interesting how they talked about the interaction of graph with sort of your traditional, you know, rows and columns warehouse in the paradigm of nodes and edges, that's something that's familiar to us, you know, relative to identity resolution, you know, sort of in, in the stuff that we're 
that we work on and that we're familiar with. And so kind of breaking down that relationship in terms of nodes and edges, I think was a really helpful way to think about how they interact with Snowflake data. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think this part of the conversation where uh, we talked about different uh, types of representation of the data and how each representation can be more well-suited like for specific uh, types of questions, it was great. And if there's something that we can keep out of this is that there's this kind of concept of the data remains the same at the end. What is expressed as part of the data it's the same thing, right? It doesn't matter if you represent as a graph, as a table, or at the end as a set. Because if you notice like uh, the conversation that we had at the end, they end up uh, representing the graph using some probabilistic data structures that at the end represent sets. And they do some set operations there to perform their analytics. And that's from a technical perspective is very interesting. And I think this is a big part of what actually computer engineering and computer science is about, right? Like how we can transform from one representation to the other and what kind of expressivity these representations are giving to us. Keeping in mind that at the end, all these are equivalent, right? Like the type of questions that we can answer are the same. It's not like something new will come out from the different representation. It's more about the ergonomics of how we can ask the questions, how more natural the questions fit to these models and structures, and in many cases also around efficiency. And it's super interesting that all these are actually built on top of like a common infrastructure, which is the data warehouse, and in this case, Snowflake. And that's like a testament of uh, how of an open platform Snowflake is. Although, I mean, in my mind, at least it's like pretty much the only other system that I have heard of being so flexible is like Postgres. But Postgres is like a database that exists for like forever, like like 30 years or something. Like Snowflake is a much, much uh, younger product. But still they have managed to have like an amazing, amazing velocity when it comes like to building the product and the technology behind it. And I'm sure that if they keep with that pace, we have many things to see in the near future, both from a technical and business perspective. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And we have more interesting data conversations coming for you every week and we'll catch you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the data stack show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me Eric Dodds at Eric at datastackshow.com. That's E R I C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.